Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Yonat from Wealth Wizards. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. So before we start, can you maybe just give us a sense of uh, what uh, what is uh, uh, what does uh, Wealth Wizards do and uh, what is your role there? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a platform engineer, part of a fantastic team which designs, builds and maintains the infrastructure layer for the SaaS product that Wealth Wizards is offering. Wealth Wizards is a fintech company based in the lovely town of Leamington Spa UK. Um, I guess not many heard of us yet, but who knows, in the near future. Our purpose is financial well-being for everyone and to make financial guidance and advice affordable and accessible to all. This is why we were created as a company and we created Duro Platform to achieve that. We show how what we offer to the world can be done in our own brand product Maiva and this was never more relevant than today. Anyone can register at app.maiva.com, answer a few questions about his financial situation and then receive guidance for things like buying a first home, saving for rainy days or saving into a pension pot. Maiva is built on top of Turo Digital, which is about digital engagement and great client customer experience. And Turo for Advisors is a back office application um, intended for to be used by financial advisors to make their experience seamless, efficient, quick and compliant. So from a 30,000 sort of feet view, what does your architecture look like today? I guess it's quite common these days to follow a microservices pattern and we are no exception to that. The applications are web-based, developed in Node.js and most of them are running in containers managed by Kubernetes and make use of MongoDB for the storage layer. Some applications though are developed on top of serverless services like AWS Lambda, API Gateway, Step Functions, a mix of DynamoDB and storage and S3 for the storage part. It's fair to say that most part of the application stack is still running on containers, but we're in the process of moving to serverless based architecture. And all of the application stack is fully deployed on top of AWS. So we discussed earlier about uh, your decision to switch from uh, Kubernetes to serverless, uh, which is quite interesting decision that you took. What was the trigger for you, you know, for you guys to go from uh, running everything in containers with Kubernetes to now going towards a serverless first approach? Yeah, sure. Um, I can't say there is a single trigger, but actually several factors that supported the decision to fully move to a serverless world. Personally, what helped me to understand the value of serverless is on one side, what I call the cup of tea Twitter thread by Simon Wardley, where he gives the example of a business selling cup of teas to the customer. He creates a map with the value chain making up the business, things like kettle, power, hot water, tea, cup of tea, and so on, and shows which one is custom built, which one is rented, and which one is a commodity. For the argument's sake, the kettle is custom built in one of the examples. But now if the business is about selling cups of tea, then why should it custom build kettles? Uh, in the same way, if our company goal is to make financial advice accessible and affordable to everyone, why should we be concerned or spend time patching operating systems, for example? Another thing that I found it extremely useful is again by Simon Wardley, and it is his talk at a uh, which he did at a go-to conference uh, titled 
crossing the river by filling the stones. He talks about mapping, a tool for strategic intent. Um, and later on, he talks about serverless and makes a great job at explaining why it makes sense and why it's just the next step in the evolution of IT as we move as we moved forward from servers to VMs to containers and serverless being the next step. From a pure tech perspective, about a year ago, we decided to replace an in-house authentication system with AWS Cognito. We made this choice as we realized developing an auth system is stealing time away from developing core product features. We did a quick research on what exists out there, checked auth0, but in the end we decided to use Cognito uh, based on a more competitive price and better integration with AWS services. A couple of engineers did a proof of concept first to make sure that we can use the product and then within about three weeks we moved from the in-house system to Cognito. According to our developers it would have taken us about six months to come with a DIY solution that would match the, that would match the features we are using from Cognito. I was involved in the migration part from an operations perspective and did a bit of automation for Cognito pools management and wrote some Lambda functions to be used as a Cognito trigger. So the Lambda function I wrote is being used where some SAML authentication is configured and the goal is to check the SAML assertion for a custom attribute, check the value and based on it, it goes and adds Cognito users to some groups before the JWT token is generated. So in effect, it's adding the user to an application role based on information in SAML assertion and we get SSO features or it's a part of a building block giving us SSO features. I was so happy to be able to do that, especially that many years ago I used to deal with servers in a data center. I kept moving along as IT evolved, but this time it felt I was doing some work at the application layer, quite close to the business logic, which gives value to the company. So instead of tinkering, for example, with some SSH stuff or patching operating systems, I was finally able to do something quite valuable, supporting the business needs even better. So this move to Cognito was the tech proving ground for adopting serverless services. I no longer had to be concerned, our BIOS concerned us before, with things like, is it highly available? Is it redundant? Is it secure? How do I store my passwords? What is what is this bcrypt thing? It just worked and these wor worries were almost taken away. So we're quite happy with the current path. That is great to hear that you guys found a lot of benefits in terms of feature velocity, getting something done in a few weeks rather than a few months, and also allowing you to now focus more on creating business value by implementing features rather than thinking about servers and tinkering and uh, managing those infrastructure. And I, and I love the fact that you mentioned that Simon Wadley was one of the inspirations for you guys moving to, the, to this um, direction because I'm a big fan of Simon Wadley's work as well. I'm a self, uh, I guess, a self-proclaimed uh, uh, Simon Wadley disciple. And actually recently I spoke with um, Alexander Simonov and uh, Slobodan who are also serverless heroes about the idea of one of the ideas that Simon Wadley has talked about a lot, which is this idea of FinDev, where financial and you know, finance and uh, development and can intercept 
so if anyone who's interested in that side of uh, software development please go and check it out on the realworldserverless.com so i want to turn the conversation around to something that i hear a lot from uh, folks who are still very much in that containers and communities world is uh, what about all the control and portability that you are giving up by moving to serverless i mean those are often the main arguments people have for going with kubernetes right um i, I guess so and i guess one could argue about losing control uh, for example you no longer have as much control over the network layer but then that network layer is managed for you and most of the times it's done by someone who is focused on doing just that and for sure they will do a way better job there, are, there also might be a feeling of services being like a black box but once you adjust your thinking to this new world you realize that's perfectly fine and the cloud provider is better placed at managing these layers of an IT stack. In terms of giving up things like portability, I think that's just a myth. If I take the example of function as of a service, sorry, function as a service, the code will run just fine, whether it's AWS, Azure, GCP, or the next cloud provider in line. I could argue you could actually gain importability instead because you can run it wherever you wish. The thing that will be different between these cloud providers will be the automation workflow around development and management of these functions. And it doesn't take much effort to get this right for the next provider in line, if you really need to. Then there's things like storage services, for example, there's S3 in AWS and Blob Storage in Azure. They both do the same, more or less. The same for things like CDNs, API gateways, managed databases, and so on. Now, obviously, there's differences between them but in essence they, they have pretty much the same core set features and let's say for the argument's sake that you lose uh, control but what do you gain in, in instead of that um, you get to spend more time at the application layer instead of um, for being focused on on just operating systems now I'm not trying to say that so, and don't get me wrong I'm not trying to say that Kubernetes is not good it's great i love it it's a great piece of tech i, I love tinkering with it uh, but given the chance i would choose something or definitely something which is serverless based uh, that's great to hear and all the arguments that uh, you've said uh, makes perfect sense when you think about uh, again that teacup example that the simon water gave right uh, you know what is the value that your business provides your customers and uh, uh, being able to focus on that rather than you know the, this uh, non or undifferentiated heavy lifting. Um, so as you transition from this you know, Kubernetes to a serverless first approach, what have been some of the some most challenging aspects of that so far? Uh, is it the case of like cultural challenges or maybe was it technical challenges because of platform limitations and things like that? I could say there are no cultural challenges to overcome. I think at Wealth Wizards, we are pretty good at embracing new tech if it's suitable for us when it's solving a problem that needs solving. And pretty much everyone in engineering is totally on board with adopting new tech uh, if, if we need to. From a tech perspective, there can be a learning curve sometimes depending on what one is doing. If I go back to the Cognito example, the most challenging thing around adopting it was actually the learning curve and the AWS docs back then didn't seem to help as much as we wanted to and there wasn't that much knowledge on 
on the tech scene about Cognito not being um, used as much maybe or people don't write as much about it but once I discovered the SDK docs um, it made things really easy and kind of was the trigger okay this is how I can write my lambdas actually Cognito triggers and how I make use of them um, then it's quite easy to get started with a RESTful API with a Lambda backend in serverless uh, and if you need to do more complex things you do need to learn the service, services that you are using to make great use of them now don't get me wrong the learning curve for serverless services generally speaking is so much lower than most of the things out there but since this is a new approach and best practices are not yet well are not yet well cemented across the industry sometimes you have to do a bit of investigation and find out what works for yourself for example one of the coolest serverless services s3 is quite easy to use but there are some uh, or actually enough data leaks of, um, of things stored in s3 due to a misconfig somewhere in our case before we started putting customer data in s3 we did some work to come with an approach using encryption and access controls to restrict who, when and how can access data basically limiting it just to the application only. Yes, I think that's a very valid point that often people overlook that uh, you know, learning two different things are not always the same. I think sometimes the learning so the whole container stack with Kubernetes on top of that feels like taking a university degree, like taking years to master, whereas with uh, Lambda and a lot of these service components are actually much, much easier for you to just get started and uh, building something and shipping something very quickly. So another thing I want to sort of touch on is uh, there are still many other people out there who are building stuff with Kubernetes and thinking about is serverless a good fit for us. Uh, what would be your advice uh, to those folks uh, who are thinking about this path? Um, I would say it depends on the people. If you are just concerned with, let's say, architecture and designs and you are not that much a hands-on person, uh, I can't recommend highly enough Simon Wardley's talk. Uh, that I mentioned earlier on, crossing the river by filling the stones. Um, and that's from a non-tech perspective, let's say. If it still doesn't click with you, just give it time, it will, uh, you'll see. From a pure tech point of view, I guess you just have to get on with it. Um, as most of the times when it comes to moving from one tech to another, find a low-risk project, experiment, learn from it, iterate and keep going. There's plenty of articles on the internet and the work that AWS serverless heroes and other service advocates are doing is just fantastic. Um, they do a lot to help others to understand how to make best use of this new set of practices. And in terms of the actual platform itself, are there any platform or tooling limitations that are making life difficult for you to adopt serverless? Uh, more broadly and uh, sort of you know, quickly in your organization? Because you said uh, there's still, most of it are still running in containers. Are there some limitations that are now stopping you from moving everything over to serverless? So for our organization, I can't think at the moment for any limitations for the compute part. So I'd say, no, not really. We have great engineers and the apps were decomposed well enough to make them easy to move to serverless. When it comes to the storage layer, most of our data at the moment sits in MongoDB and we want to move to DynamoDB and S3 but we need to redesign the data model and to and possibly do some code changes. Here we found quite helpful Rick Julian's talk uh, and sessions on DynamoDB 
But the thing that we struggle with most is just limited resource, uh, as in how much engineering time we have uh, available. Product development still takes most of our time, and it comes first before a tech layer change. Platform-wise, I had a slight concern about the monitoring aspect of it, mostly due to the fact that tools like AWS X-Ray are not quite there, but this was solved by things like Epsagon or Thundra. From a security point of view, I guess it's not uncommon maybe to capture network traffic, to an analyze it, uh, where VMs are still involved. In a serverless world, you can't do that anymore as far as I know, but then do you still need to do it? Serverless services are more secure anyways than a traditional infrastructure, so security services providers will have to evolve their tools as well. For our own tooling, as in CI-CD pipeline, we wanted to maintain the same level of abstraction and usability, regardless of where my application exists, as in Kubernetes, AWS, Serverless, Azure, or whatever. We automatically deploy to dev and test environments and we can deploy to production using Slack commands at any point in a day. Uh, we adopted serverless framework um, for serverless services and to make it to fit well within our workflow, we wrote a plugin so it pulls information from console and vault, which is open source by the way. It's not an obstacle in itself, just something to be aware of that a slightly different process needs automation. At the end of the day, that's what we are here uh, for, among other things. Okay, uh, what about in terms of the sort of challenges to local development? Uh, because one of the things I also hear a lot from folks that are moving from containers to serverless is that, well, with containers, I could just run up everything locally on my laptop uh, using containers. Uh, but now coming to serverless, I can't do the same thing anymore. I'm depending on all these external services that only exist in AWS. Um, what are some of the tools that you guys are using for simulating that local development experience? Or are you doing what uh, many people like me are saying, okay, just don't bother locally simulating everything, just talk to the real AWS services. Um, we spent just a bit of time to investigate um, how it would be best for us, and um, we come to the conclusion of not bothering with it. Just talk to the real services, deploy your things out there, and uh, use it with real services. Um, based on the back of the investigation that was done, we had a, an amazing engineer who looked at uh, using tools that mock, for example, DynamoDB or other services, but he quickly find out it's not similar to the real service and said, let's not bother with it. It's just not good effort for us to to, to spend. Um, in terms of testing, I've, we still do some unit tests for the functions, but then we do application testing and when testing and we have a testing framework um, that works regardless of where that app is deployed. It, has no knowledge of the infrastructure itself it doesn't really care okay that's all great to hear um and uh what about okay so one last thing i want to ask is uh, uh what are your top three aws wishlist items that things that you wish aws would uh, change or improve or fix there is one thing that would help us adopting serverless faster and that one would be api gateway http headers routing uh, as in being able to call different backend integrations uh, depending on the header being sent. 
another one uh, we found out when we started building a data lake some quirks with Athena which requires all field names to be lowercase we don't with the only symbol allowed being an underscore so things like that would help us um, Things like that would help us getting up to speed faster or adopting these services faster so we don't have to spend time troubleshooting smaller issues. As you're on the API Gateway one, uh, you can also use ALB, which does support the head, uh, routing based on headers, I think. Uh, and ALB is supported with Lambda. I guess the pricing model is different. It's not maybe as, as easy to set up compared to API Gateway, um, but it's at least potentially an option for you to consider. Um, it was an option indeed, and we did investigate that, um, that route. As far as I know, there's a limitation with the number of rules um, a load balancer supports, and that's 100, and I think it's a fixed limit. I might be wrong though. Um, and then there's features in the API gateway that the load bal balancer doesn't have, like throttling and um, different keys for different people uh, that are consuming my APIs and some other more advanced security features. So that's why we said we're going to stick with uh, API gateway. Okay, that makes uh, perfect sense. Um, so I think that's it. Uh, that's all the questions that I've got. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell the listeners before we go? Any maybe personal projects you want to share about, uh, or maybe uh, is uh, Wealth Wizards hiring at the moment? Um, we try to publish articles on our Wealth Wizards um, Medium.com publication called Wealth Wizards Engineering. There's a GitHub uh, account we have as well, and we try to open source tooling or things that we think might be useful for others um, loads of things that we do right are specific to our own use case in terms of hiring unfortunately we do not hire at the moment but we do hope we will be able to hire uh, in the near future so keep in touch you never know sounds good and i will make sure to include the link to your medium blog uh in the show notes for anyone who want to uh, read about that and also i'm going to add links to the the talk you mentioned from uh, by simon wadley as well and uh, what about how do people find you on the internet are you on twitter or linkedin uh yeah i'm on twitter uh, my twitter handle is i crutchunescu <laughs> um, i guess uh, spelling it would be easier uh, and i have a medium blog post jonas crutchunescu Okay, I'll make sure I include those uh, in the show notes so that uh, people can find you easily from there. Um, okay, and uh, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, sharing your experience of moving from Kubernetes to serverless and uh, hope to, you, know, you guys uh, keep going with your journey and then uh, you go to a world where you're fully serverless. Uh, thank you. We, we can't wait for that and thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes and the transcript, please go to realworldserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.